which is uh, case 22 from the Hekigan Roku pointer. There's nothing outside the great vastness. It's as fine as atomic dust. Holding on and letting go are not another's doing. Rolling up and rolling out rest with oneself. If you want to free what is stuck and loosen what is bound, you simply must cut away the traces of thought and swallow the sounds of words. All people occupy the essential crossing place. Each and every one towers up like a thousand fathom wall. But tell me, whose realm is it? To test, I'm citing this old case. Look. Jefeng taught the assembly saying, on South Mountain there is a turtle-nosed snake. All of you people must take a good look. Changqing said, in the hall today, there certainly are people who are losing their bodies and lives. Monk related that to Zhuangxia. Zhuangxia said, it takes elder brother Leng, Changqing, to be like this. Nevertheless, I am not this way. The monk asked, what about you, teacher? Zhuangxia said, why make use of South Mountain? Yunmen took his staff and threw it down in front of Zui Feng, making a gesture of fright. The verse. Elephant Bone Cliff is so high, no one goes there. Those who get there must be master snake handlers. Master Lang and Master Pei can't do anything. How many lose their bodies and their lives? Xiaoyang knows. Again, he searches the weeds. South, north, east, west. No place to search. Suddenly, he thrusts out his staff. Throws it down before Jefeng. It opens wide its mouth. One on earth can find it. Raise your eyebrows to look and you won't see Right now it's hidden here on Jew Peak. Those who come one by one observe expedient methods. The master shouted loudly and said, look right under your feet. Look right under your feet. Look where you sit. It's a long verse. Seems like a complicated case. The succession of horrifying events during the past few days, I think, left us all shocked, horrified, and maybe even numb. Three days in a row. Three days in a row last week, senseless acts of People taking the lives of other people. And that only adds to the surge of violent acts that have been propagating around the world in what seems to be a steady rate. How did we get here? 
What are we doing to ourselves as a society and what are the ramifications of such uncontrolled behavior? And the way we look at it matters. Especially for us as bodhisattvas, we take on the responsibility. We take on the responsibility willingly to open up our eyes, our ears, and our hearts so we can wholeheartedly listen to the cries of the world. And then ask a very important question. What does the world need right now? It's not easy to open up ourselves to the escalating madness. Maybe we want to get numb. Maybe we want to say the hell with it. There's nothing I can do about that. The news can be so overwhelming and people actually do react in extreme ways. Either with intense anger and frustration or apathy and emotional numbness. Neither one of these reactions flow out of true compassion and care. In fact, anger and apathy are both born out of the same womb that gives birth to acts of violence as in the case of the three poisons, greed, anger, and ignorance. Being ignorant to our true nature, we create an image of it, live in constant fear of losing it, and defend it at all costs, even if it means acting in violent ways towards those who we perceive as the threat. Violence, aggression, and hatred are born out of fear. And this is not what the world needs right now. If we act to it in the same manner, we are adding more of the same. If we get angry about it, we're adding more of the same. If we get numb about it, we're also adding more of the same. Anger begets anger. Violence begets violence and conflict will create more conflict. It's a cycle that is constantly feeding, it's actually designed to feed itself. And in the process, is destroying lives. The made-up self, the made-up self, it is made up, can be seen as a parasite that ends up destroying its host, which is, of course, you. What the, what the world desperately needs right now is realization, recognition, awakening. It needs the light of wisdom to shine brightly on the darkness of our ignorance. So we can see the havoc and destruction we create. And then choose to foster wakeful life, wakeful living. Choose, moment by moment. Some people ask about the purpose of practice. If you still need purpose for practice or your commitment to practice, make it about that. Be the everlasting bright candle that shines light on ignorance. It will not only keep you busy for the rest of your life, it will also guarantee a fulfilling life. Much more fulfilling than anything else can be. Any achievement you think might do. 
the way we want to live, that's the way we need to choose to live our lives. It has to be about other people. It is our responsibility as practitioners, but also our privilege. This is where the introduction of today's koan begins. That recognition. There is nothing outside the great vastness. It is as fine as atomic dust. Holding on and letting go are not another's doing. So it's describing the greatness of realization, recognition, who you are, who you really are. And then it is telling you that it's up to you. Only up to you. Because it's not another's doing. Rolling up and rolling out rests with oneself in your hands. And then it says, if you want to free what is stuck and loosen what is bound, you simply must cut away the traces of thoughts and swallow the sounds of words. That is up to you to disrupt, to intercept the automatic mechanism that perpetuates what you resist. And it says all people occupy the essential crossing place. Everybody's got it. Everybody's there. Each and every one towers up like a thousand fathom wall. Each one of us is magnanimous as a potential. And then he says, but tell me, whose realm is it? And that's where it lies. Whose realm is Well, that's not my realm. <laughs> Maybe my realm when I am awakened, but for now I'm not awakened, so I'm not uh, bound by those rules. I have different rules. Everybody has the ability to awaken to the light of wisdom. And yet most people spend their entire lives in darkness. You know, I think we have made everything a cliche. Even that, even words like this, even what, be magnanimous, be great, be compassionate. Oh, wow, that's wonderful. And we have made it into a cliche. Because we have made it into a concept. Wisdom is not a concept. Compassion is not a concept. And being magnanimous is not a concept. It's a choice that we have to make. Why is this most people choose to remain in darkness? Right? This, is, this is where we have to apply the practice. Why do we choose or do we choose? What happens when we don't make a choice to be magnanimous, to see, to apply clarity of wisdom to what's going on. What happens at that moment? We are caught, at that split second, we are caught by habits. By what is driving this world to madness. We get caught up by that too. Although awakening itself is it is truly blissful. The process of awakening is quite challenging. And it is. And it can be very painful. It doesn't have to be. 
but in most cases it is. It requires fierce determination and the willingness, the willingness to face our deepest fears with courage and trust. This is a key aspect of, of in the awakening process, and it is unavoidable. We have to face fears. We have to look at the abyss. Well, you have to do it. Each one of us has to do it personally. And how do we do that? How does, how does each one of us cut away the traces of thoughts and swallow the sounds of the words, as the introduction says? You know, we sit together as a Sangha and support each other in many ways. But we each must, must walk the path alone. While fear is universal, its appearance is unique to each one of us. What you are afraid of is not what I am afraid of. And what you experience when you handle, when you deal with fear, nobody else experiences. You must be a snake handler. You must be willing to handle the snake. with the thought that you may get bitten and may die in the process. That's what it takes. So we have to ask ourselves, what am I afraid of? What am I avoiding? What am I afraid of and what am I avoiding? And by answering these questions, you will know exactly how to proceed on your spiritual path. You will know what you need to do to not squander your life. Because if you don't do that, you are squandering your life. If you don't face your fears, nothing happens, nothing changes. The Buddha himself did the same. He realized that fear, fear has the power to hold him back and decided to face it. And he said, the thought occurred to me, and I'm quoting, what if on recognized designated nights, such as the 8th, 14th, and 15th of the lunar calendar, I were to stay in the sort of places that are awe-inspiring and make your hair stand on end? Well, this is the Buddha. Make the hair stand on end. Such as park shrines, forest shrines, tree shrines. Perhaps I would get to see that fear and terror. So at a later time, on recognized designated nights, I stayed in such places that are awe-inspiring and make your hair stand on end. Then he goes on to describe such as shrine, forest, and tree places. While I was staying there, a wild animal would come, a peacock would make a twig fall, or wind will rustle in the falling leaves. And the thought would occur to me, is this that fear and terror coming? Then the thought occurred to me, why do I just keep waiting for fear? So he brought himself to situations of experiencing the utmost fearful things. And then he asked himself, why am I waiting for something else to happen? Why am I waiting for 
something horrible to happen. Every sound, every sound, every thought, every emotion, there it is, here it comes. Here it comes. Now, my past marriage, I was married for a long time to someone who was a second generation Holocaust survivor. And she lived her life this way. And she, she knew it. She was always waiting to, she always had this thought that around the corner, around the next corner, something horrible is just about to happen. And that's exactly what he's saying. So we have to recognize that there is a part of us that is waiting for something terrible to happen. And then we live by that. And if we live this way, how can we see the magnanimity of this? How can we see anything else? It's clouded by what we think. And maybe what we think makes it so. Maybe it becomes our reality. We're afraid of it, we wait for it, there it is, and then we are confirmed to stay in this state of being. We are confirmed to not make a change, to not take a step, to not live differently. And then he said, what if, what if, in whatever state I'm in, when fear and terror come to me, I were to subdue that fear and terror in that very state. So when fear and terror came to me while I was walking back and forth, I would not stand or sit or lie down. I would just keep walking back and forth until it had subdued, until I had subdued that fear and terror. Now he says, when fear and terror came to me while I was standing, I would not walk or sit or lay down. I would just keep standing until I had subdued that fear and terror. When fear and terror came to me while I was sitting down, I would not lie down, stand up or walk. I would just keep sitting down until I had subdued that fear and terror. And same when I was lying down. If it came to me when I was lying down, I would not stand up and try to run away from it. I would stay in that state of being, in that physical state of being, until I subdued it. Now, you have to first trust that you have the power to subdue it, rather than run away from it. But if you automatically run away from it, how would you know you have the power? How would you know? And then he says, there are some people who have the perception of day when it is night and of night when it is day. This, I tell you, is, being, is their being in a dwelling of delusion. As for me, I have the perception of day when it is day, and of night when it is night. This is very important. This is very important for our practice. We always practice what is, which means we have to embrace what's going on, which we which means we open up to the joy, the sorrow, the fear, the anger, or whatever else is going on. So when he says not to have the perception of night when it is day, he means to not create something else and try to run away from it. 
to it from the state you're in. That would be delusion. To stay and examine the fear until it loses its own power, until it becomes subdued. If we don't do that, it has power over us. If we do that, we recognize power over it. But it has to begin by staying with it. Recognizing it and staying with it rather than running to displacement activities such as watching a movie, reading a book, going for a stroll, or even sometimes meditating. No escape. As Pema Chodron said in her book, uh, book titled The Wisdom of No Escape. The wisdom that comes out of no escape manifests in no escape. And then he says, As for me, I have the perception of day when it is day and of night when it is night. If anyone, when speaking rightly, were to say, A being not subject to delusion has appeared in the world for the benefit and happiness of many, out of sympathy of for the world, for the welfare, benefit, and happiness of human and divine beings, he would rightly be speaking of me. Potentially, potentially, that is each one of us. Of course, he wasn't talking about him as separated from you. There are no 2,500 years separating between those worlds and you right now, and us right now. And when he says that it would be speaking of me, is referring to you. It is speaking about you. By doing that, you are becoming of benefit to the world. And this is what the world needs. This can subdue the madness. Fear is essential, an essential ingredient in practice. It produces an extremely powerful and debilitating energy. And as long as we refuse to face what we are afraid of, it will keep having its grip on our throats. Fear leads to contraction and rigidity, and it stifles compassion on a personal level and as a collective. But wisdom, on the other hand, leads to expansion and relaxation. It opens up the heart and allows compassion to flow naturally. When you let go of it, when you subdue it, naturally you will become compassionate. There's no need to call it compassion at that point because it becomes who you are. You become an embodiment of compassion. When you open up your heart, this creates unity rather than discrimination. And I think that as a global society, we move between contraction and expansion, between fear and wisdom. We see both. And I know that these days, it seems like all we see is stupidity. Not much wisdom in those actions, but once in a while, there is wisdom. I think Brexit is a good example of how collective, the collective behaves when it is afraid to lose its identity. Right? 
we, we don't want to lose that identity of being British. We close the gates, we close the doors, we don't open up our hearts to other people. What does that do? What does contraction do? What does rigidity do? Stifles compassion. And it was interesting that a week later, after the Brexit referendum, the Pentagon announced that it is lifting the ban on transgenders so they can now serve in the military as every other citizen. Wisdom, isn't it? Wisdom in action. Took us a while. We got it. How do we do it? How do we move from getting it to not getting it? From wisdom to stupidity so quickly. I don't know how, but I think that we have to study that. We have to learn something. We here have to learn something from the, world, the ways the world behaves. And open up our hearts to that. So we can apply it. We have to think about what kind of actions are born out of fear and what kind of actions in our lives are born out of wisdom and trust. This is why Rumi said, do not move the way fear makes you move. Do not allow fear to move you. Allow wisdom to move you. We encounter that in our Aikido practice as well. When techniques are moving fast, there is a tendency to contract, thinking I will protect myself by contracting, by turning away from the technique, but it's the complete opposite. By doing that, I am inviting injuries. And people often do get injured by pulling away from a technique rather than by going with it. When you allow yourself to go with a technique, even when it is fast, even with the thoughts of, oh, I'm going to get hurt, most likely you will not get hurt you will actually be safer by blending with rather than opposing. That's wisdom. That's the wisdom of the body. The body knows. The mind gets in the way. The thinking mind always seems to get in the way. But, and the fear exists in the thinking mind. And if we address it, if we look at it, we have a chance to awaken. We have a choice. When the Buddha says, I have the perception of day when it is day and night when it is night, he's telling us to completely merge with the situation we are in instead of trying to run away from it to some alternate reality we form in our minds. There is no alternate reality. There is nothing else going on. But we think there is we create it, we run away for, to it, and then, of course, we fall on our face, recognizing it's not what I thought it is. And sooner or later, we do recognize that. It's not what I thought it is. But then stop thinking. But I can't. Well, then how about not taking what you think so seriously? That's another way. We need courage. We need to tap 
into the courage that we have. And we have it. We are born having what it takes to realize ourselves, to wake up. So we can facilitate the creation of a different kind of world, a sane world. It is in our hands. Jie Feng here in this con is asking you to enact, that, to enact this courage. And he says, on South Mountain there is a turtle-nosed snake. All of you people must take a good look. And the footnote says, if you see something strange that's not strange, its strangeness disappears by itself. What a strange thing. Unavoidably, it causes people to doubt. Now, you may remember that from a couple of weeks ago, uh, the Quran brought up, shared the same footnote on other lines. And it's very true. If, if we see anything as not different and not strange, it actually becomes an ally. It becomes part of the experience we are having. And it can be embraced at that moment. That can create unity. But as long as we think, well, this is strange. This is not what I'm used to. This is different. This is not a part of my routines. They don't look like me. They don't smell like me. They don't talk like me. Therefore, they are different. Maybe I should kill them for that. So we have to change the way we are interacting with the world. What is a turtle nose snake? Why would you want to search for it and take a good look? Why would you? I think you would rather run, rather run away from it, naturally. Jiefeng is Sepo, who some of you may remember from previous koans. He was a Dharma successor of Tokusan, Deshan in Chinese. And Jiefeng was the teacher of some great Zen masters such as Yunmen. But for him, awakening did not come easy. He actually suffered a lot in the process and it took a very long time. And I have no doubt he was quite frustrated about it. And Jiefeng had an older Dharma brother by the name of Yantu who was instrumental in Jiefeng's awakening. Yanto himself had the realization long before Jiefeng. One day, these two, there's a story about one day these two Dao brothers went to visit Qinshan. They got as, as far as the inn on Turtle's Mountain in Hunan. And at that point, they were snowed in. Day after day, while they were snowed in, Yantu just slept while Jiefeng constantly sat in meditation. Yantu yelled at him and said, Get some sleep. Every day you are on the meditation seat. Exactly like a clay image. Or a wooden one or whatever we have behind us here. Another time, another day, you'll fool the sons and daughters of other people's family. Feng pointed to his breast and said, I'm not yet at peace here, right here. I don't dare to deceive myself. I know where I'm at. I'm, I know I'm not awakened. And Zhu said, 
I thought that later on you would go to the summit of a solitary peak, build a hut and propagate the great teachings. But you're still making such statements as this. Feng said, I'm really not there yet. I'm sure he was honest. And Tu said, if you're really like this, bring forth your views one by one. Whether they are correct, I'll approve them for you. Whether they're wrong, I'll prune them away for It's nice. I'll prune them away for you. I'll just prune them. You got it. You, just, you may need some trimming. Then Zhefeng related, when I saw Yen Quan up in the hole bringing the meaning of form and void, I gained an entry. I had an insight. Yen Tu said, henceforth, for 30 years, avoid mentioning this. Let it go. I had an insight, but I had an insight. Drop it. But it was great. So what? Isn't this great? What's missing here? But I had an insight. Again, Jiefeng said, when I saw Tungshan, Tungshan's verse on crossing the river, I had an insight. Tu said, this way you won't be able to save even yourself. Thing went on. Later, when I got to Teishan, I asked, do I have do I have a part in the affair of the vehicle of the most ancient sect or not? Am I made of the same material? Shan struck me, struck me a blow with his staff and said, what are you saying? At that time, it was like the bottom of the bucket dropping out for me. Thereupon, Yantao shouted and said, haven't you heard it is said that what comes in through the gate is not the family jewels. What comes in from the gate is not the family jewels. Feng said, and what should I do? Ntu said, in the future, if you want to propagate the great teachings, let each point flow out from your own breast to come out and cover heaven and earth for me. Now at these words, at these words, Jiefeng was greatly awakened. Then he bowed, crying out again and again, Today on Turtle's Mountain, I finally achieved the way. Today I finally achieved the way. And you can imagine the joy he had after all these years of trying and trying and trying to get here. Trying to get here. Now there's no doubt that at the time of this dialogue, the time of this dialogue, Feng was ripe and ready for an awakening experience. So what he did did matter all these years of diligent practice. But, but I think that what did it for him was that line. Haven't you heard it is said that what comes in through the gate is not the family jewels? It's not the family jewels. Stop waiting for it to come from your senses. Stop believing that what you see, what you hear, what you think, what other people think, is it. Stop looking outside and start looking within. Have you ever considered that you are what you're looking for? You are the solution? Just as you are, just like this. Before you begin to think, before you begin to look, 
before you begin to speak, before you hear anything, it's there. And then there is also the conceptual you that is fearful, blind, violent, angry. There is that. And this is why you must face the dragon or the turtle-nosed snake and work through the fears that you encounter along the path. Every spiritual path, every spiritual path passes through what seems to be hell. And there's no way around it. And we need to keep going straight through, forward, even at times. Even at times, all we want to do is run away from it. Especially at times that all we want to do is drop it all and say, the hell with it. I can't take this. This is not my practice. This is too difficult. It's too much. I'll go watch a movie instead. I'll go call a friend. I'll go run away and crawl back into the shell of delusion. That's what it is. I think that the shell of delusion will protect me, but it's doing exactly the opposite. Exactly the opposite. Everything you know of protection is false. Cognitively, everything you know about what is protecting you is false. In reality, you are what you need for protection. Or, another way to say that, you don't need to protect yourself from anything because you are everything. You are everything. The first two lines of the verse say, Elephant bone cliff is so high, no one goes there. No one goes there. And then it says, those who get there must be master snake handlers. And the footnote says, this is a spirit recognizing a spirit, a thief recognizing a thief. Why gather in crowds? Still, still, you must be of the same group to make it. You must realize you have what it takes. You are made of the same material. Now, Zhefeng's monastery was close to a large rock that looked like an elephant bone, so it was named by that. And the verse begins by describing the depth of Zhefeng's realization and what it takes to get there, what it takes to get here. So, Zhefeng, deep realization, great Zen masters as his successor, and yet he was greatly deluded. But when he realized he was greatly deluded, he was greatly enlightened. When he realized, I've got it all, I am all, he was greatly enlightened. And this koan ends with, Yunmen's personal expression of the turtle-nosed snake. Yunmen took his staff and threw it down in front of Zhefeng, making a gesture of fright. 
And the footnote says, why be afraid of it? Why be afraid of it? Because it looks like a snake. It looks like it can bite me. It looks like that. And the footnote says also, one son has intimately attained. All of them are giving play to their spirits. All of you, all of us, try to discern this. Because if we don't discern this, it is all meaningless. Maybe interesting, maybe not. Maybe you don't find it interesting. Maybe you find it boring. I don't know. Either way, whether you find it boring or you find it interesting, it is meaningless. Unless you, on your own, discern the meaning. Only you. And this is back to you and back to what the world needs today. Actually, the world is calling very loudly for you to awaken. It is asking you. Every time, every time you, you read the news and you hear about more killing, more people blowing themselves up, more unnecessary life lost, unnecessary. Unnecessary to kill so much, to shed so much blood. Every time you see that, that should be a slap on your face. Wake up, wake up now. There is no other time. Stop waiting. Stop squandering your life. Be diligent. Apply every ounce of your being to this practice. Work on it day and night. Even if sometimes it seems impossible. And I know it does seem impossible at times. The fear do seem debilitating, paralyzing. Last weekend we were, Amyoga and I went to Daibosatsu for a, a big celebration, uh, anniversary, and we met uh, this guy David Loy, the Dharma successor of Yamada-kun. Very nice guy, and uh, he gave a talk. And in this talk he quoted the arm, from the Army Corps of Engineers that they have a saying, the difficult we do immediately, the impossible will take a little longer. The difficult will do immediately, the impossible will take a little longer. It's beautiful, isn't it? It's exactly like what we vow every time. Creations are numberless, I vow to free them. Impossible. Delusions are inexhaustible, I vow to transform them. Fear are inexhaustible, I vow to conquer them. Impossible. All right, it's okay. I'll take a little time to do that. Reality is boundless, I vow to perceive it, and the enlightened way is unsurpassable, and I vow to embody it. I vow to be the embodiment of realization. Right now. And we have to do it with all our hearts, all our spirits, and fully present. So we have to apply every ounce of our being to the practice. It is not a foreign practice. And it is not... There's no choice of whether or not we are part of this madness. We are part of this madness. But we also are part of the awakening process. Out of this madness. But we have to choose to be an active part 
in the awakening process, which means right now facing what we're afraid of and finding the courage to work through it. Thank you.